it may not make a lot of sense to go out of your way to try and even get status unless you're someone that's traveling potentially, you know, multiple times per month or you're in a hotel 40, 50 nights a year. If that's not you, I wouldn't go out of my way to get status at all. And I would just not be paying attention to that. I would be playing the game of how do I get as many transferable bank points as I can so that I can convert them to all these different airlines and hotel programs when I need them. Hello, and welcome back to a Sharper Life podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Sharp, a two-time best-selling author, transformation coach, and I'm here each week to give you actionable tips to help you overcome challenges that you might be facing in order to find freedom and joy and happiness in your life. This podcast is your one-stop shop to help you live your happiest, healthiest, and most vibrant life. And whether we're talking about how to move through trauma, have better sex, and impactful ways to deal with stress and burnout, I've got you covered. And yes, these are all past episodes. So if any of these sound good to you, scroll on back through the archives. And if you are new to the show and enjoy it, please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review sharing what you enjoyed about this episode as it helps other people to find out about the world-class interviews, including simple tips to change your life. Now, Today, I have a very special guest who has made it his mission to help people travel smarter and more affordably. He is the owner of Freedom Travel Systems, a company that specializes in providing travel hacks and insider tips to help you make the most out of all of your adventures around the world. Please welcome to the show, Eli Facenda. And I just want to give a quick outline of what we're going to be talking about. So I just got off of this interview and we are diving deep into the world of travel hacks. So starting from the macro view and helping you to really understand what travel hacking is and how to implement it and apply it into your life starting today, no matter how much you know. So whether you're confused about it, this episode will help clear a lot up. And then we're also going to be going over travel secrets to help you become a ninja travel hacker. So we we start off in the macro, we go into more of the nitty gritty, the detailed side of travel hacking. And this is something I'm incredibly passionate about. I love travel, as you all know. And honestly, I love spending less money in order to get better flights, fly business, get free hotel stays. So that's what this episode is all about, to help you upgrade your travel game. And without further ado, here is Eli and myself talking about all things travel hacking. Obviously, this is a topic that people want to know more about. So what I'd like to do is just, I guess, jump straight into understand your company and how you got into the world of travel hacking, because you are like a total, you and Tommy both are total badasses. And I aspire to be like you when I grow up. So let's just jump in starting from there. Awesome. Yeah. And Nikki, thanks for uh, having me on and, and uh, yeah, really diving in with this. Cause I think it's such a cool topic that most people don't get to really ever hear about, or if they hear about it, they just don't realize there's much more available than what they're currently doing. So giving people this opportunity is amazing. And that's kind of you know how it started for me actually, and funny enough, this was 2014 probably, and I had first heard about travel hacking on a podcast when I was in college, way before podcasts were cool. I had to go to like a website and like click play on like a browser to listen to this thing, and I remember hearing about it, and like, oh, this this is a cool idea. There's something here. And fast forward, you know, a year later, I was at uh, Lehigh University, which is a school kind of close to New York City. It was a finance degree, and everyone's going to Wall Street, right? And at this point, you know, I had basically just decided to take a position with this international sports tour company where we send sports teams all over the world. And I was the first employee. And so what that meant was we were growing and we were kind of a startup and we were just, you know, trying to really create this business. And I wasn't making a lot of money and all my friends were making like multiple six figures right out of school. And so when we wanted to travel, I had to come up with a better solution to be able to travel with my friends because I didn't have the cash that they had. And so I remember hearing about, I had remembered like, oh, there's this travel hacking thing. So I ended up diving into it and I was like, oh, this is really cool. You know, I can get a few trips and I went to Thailand with a bunch of friends. Uh, that was like the first big trip I ever did. And the game changer for me though, was like a year or two into it. I got my first ever international like business class lay flat seat over to Europe. And, you know, I had walked on the, on the plane. It was the first time I ever turned left, <laughs> right? And I was just like, 
this is insane. I was like, oh my God, I'm paying $6. This is like a $6,000 ticket. I'm around a bunch of like, you know, executive and professionals. And I had had a few drinks in the lounge before. So I'm like, just having this like euphoric experience. I'm like, I'm hooked. And like on that flight, I started reading everything I could. And from then it was kind of history. Uh, so it turned in from a hobby to a passion, to an obsession, to like kind of a brand and then really a business. Now we have a whole team. Uh, incredible. And I love that you say turning left for those of you who haven't yet gotten to experience, but hopefully between these two travel hacking episodes, you'll learn more of the hacks because I agree. Once you turn left on a plane, it's, you never go back. Right. So what then made you guys start your company? Because I know you and Tommy, Tommy were working separately, but then now you have freedom travel system. So walk us through what this company is and why you chose the specific demographic that you work with. Sure. Yeah. So it's funny because um, when I first started out, you know, I had started this company about three years ago and I was starting to do some consulting because people were asking me for help. And I was like, wow, there's something here. And I knew there was this whole like online business world and I really wanted to get into it because it looked fun and like I could do a lot of cool stuff. But I had a really hard time starting it because I was trying to teach people how to travel hack, like going through like one on one calls or like courses and stuff. And I wanted to work with business owners because that's kind of who I wanted to be around. That's who I felt like I could relate to. It was people I knew I could help the most because they have so much spend and they're typically traveling a lot. Uh, even though I at the time was kind of more of like the lower income nomadic traveler that was like using points as a way to start traveling, not using points as a way to just like upgrade your travel. Right. And so there was an immediate disconnect in that. And this is kind of like, you know, a lot of business owners have to get this whole product market fit down. And I was trying to sell the wrong service and product to the wrong people. And as soon as I adjusted that, I was like, Oh, these types of people want more of like a done with you or done for you solution where we can just help them or guide them and not necessarily like put them through a full in-depth course, which we do still have. But uh, that was really the game changer, but that's very time intensive. And so after about a year of doing that, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to, fr I have to bring on some other team members. Otherwise I'm never gonna be able to grow this thing. And so I was like, I need to go find someone who's just a good culture fit, going to be a great person, but is better at this than I am. And so I was just like, you know, going deep into the Instagram world and I ended up uh, finding Tommy. And this time, you know, we had been connecting on Instagram, just like DMing about points and stuff. But, uh, you know, his following wasn't like massive yet. And he was traveling all over the world and he had some really good content. I was like, this guy definitely knows his stuff. And uh, so we connected immediately. It was just like bro connection. And then like on that first call, we, we talked like, I think it was like Christmas day or something. He was sick or I can't remember exactly how I think I, I was not at home, but I was like, Hey, in like four days I'm going to be in Cabo, like with a bunch of people, you should come. And he was like booked in an hour. I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> so, so came down, came to Cabo, started talking business and it was kind of history ever since. Amazing. So when we go into the world of travel hacking, and obviously there are so many different aspects, but how would you, dis, uh, I guess, define travel hacking with everything you know now? I would say it's really just tapping into the amazing uh, benefits that we get here, primarily in the US, but worldwide, to play with credit card points and airline miles. Really, whatever it means for you, it can be so diverse. Like, for some people, travel hacking means luxury first class travel to the Maldives. For some people, it just means, hey, I want to take my family forward to Disney World and we'd never normally go. For some people, it means I want to do a year of nomad travel. So I don't really have a definition of how you should use travel hacking. We tend to do more luxury stuff, and that's what we help with because, to me, that's the stuff that you'd normally never want to pay for, mm -hmm. right? If you're kind of, like, running a business or you have, like, some stable income, you could probably travel a little bit on your own, but, like, doing the luxury stuff hurts to pay for. And this is where points can come in. But ultimately it's kind of just gamification. Right. And that's one of the beauties of it is like, I never really played a lot of video games growing up, you know, I, I, some, but this is like a video game and it's like a total game. And you get the benefit of like, instead of just like getting a gold sticker on a screen, you get to take a first class trip somewhere epic. So that's, that's part of the beauty of it too. Love that. And just, you know, everyone listening, hopefully you, you did listen to the last episode. I will link it, but we have, my husband and I worked with you and actually we found you or he found you because of an Instagram ad, which is awesome. And I think it's so cool that this world of Instagram can actually connect us with amazing people. So 
we started working with you and just to run through how we work with you. I'm sure there's going to be different things, but we will send in Slack and say, hey, we're looking for these dates. Like coming up, we're going to both south of France for my birthday and then we're going to go Switzerland after that to go hike. And I want to be Heidi, you know, prancing around the, <laughs> the Swiss mountains. And then a month later, we're going to London. So we write to your team in the Slack and we say, you know, here are our dates. Here's how many points we have on XYZ, loyalty airline. And then you guys come back to us saying, these are the various options. It might be good to buy points on like Flying Blue, which we just did. And one thing I will note that I didn't realize, but we went over with the, the episode with Tommy is travel hacking to get the most bang for your buck for everyone listening. You have to be open to changing dates if you want to get the best ROI. So we we ended up doing that. We bunch, bought a bunch of flying blue points. And then literally the next day we were about to buy the flight and it was gone. And, and the points had doubled. So then we, you guys helped us figure that out. So walk me through then, when do you think someone should take travel hacking and, you know, learning about the loyalty, the points on their own versus, I mean, someone like me, I don't have time to go do all this travel hacking. So I love being able to just send this to you. But what do you think, when should someone start using a company like yours versus just learning what you did? And then I would say kind of the follow-up on that would be, are there any specific websites for those who maybe can't afford working with you guys yet that you're like, look, go here, do this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Because that's that's a big question that a lot of people have. And I had the same thing and I did it the hard way. I went the route of, I'm going to learn all this stuff. And I had some time, but in reality, you know, after about four years of like learning on my own, I took a course eventually, hired a coach. And yeah, it, it saved a ton of mistakes and headaches. And that's part of it. It's not just the time, it's all the mistakes and, and issues. Because it's one of these areas where you don't know what you don't know, and then things are kind of evolving. And so you kind of have to keep up with it as well. So that's another part of, of learning the game is, it's like you learn it once, but then some of the rules change. So you, you kind of want to stay on top of it a little bit. So number one, I would suggest if you're going to learn on your own, there's a couple different great places. I mean, there's all sorts of good social media accounts. Like when I was when I was coming up in my day, we didn't have social media accounts to reference, right? It was like reading blogs. But uh, there's a lot of good accounts, whether it's mine or Tommy's or Max Miles Points or Julia Breeze. There's like there's so many upgraded wait, wait, points. Wait, wait, wait. You just flew by those. What? I didn't even know these. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> Okay. For me, for the, the dummy, yeah. here, I, yeah. you know, I, I, and I was telling Tommy this, like, I know a lot about travel hacking and he schooled me on, on our interview. Cause he was like, Oh, you know, use this card and not that one. And I was like, Oh shit, I'm doing it wrong. So for me as the demographic, let's go through those a little, okay. sure. yeah. <laughs> a little, a little slower. So, so mine and Tommy's, which I'm sure you can link down below. Yeah. Right? So be like travel guy, travel like Tommy. Um, one of the best out there for, uh, like he's, he's a graphic designer and video editor himself. So his content looks really good is max miles points. Okay. Really good information. And he blew up a couple of years ago. Um, then there's, uh, geo breeze travel. It's G E O B R E E Z. Okay. So these are Instagram accounts you recommend. Yeah. Julia, the geo breeze travel is also a podcast. So that's a great place to go to learn more if you want to listen in. Um, and then from there, I mean, there's other ones, um, Zach Burabell, he's also really good on TikTok and his stuff's highly entertaining. He's like an actor. So like, he's got this fun, uh, spin on a lot of the stuff that normally it's kind of like us points nerds, you know, talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so those are the social media accounts. So there's a bunch more, but, uh, I would check those out. And then the blogs would be my favorite ones are one mile at a time. No, I've never heard of that. Okay. It's a really good one. Yeah. So like the points guy is great, but it's kind of like see the CNN of travel. Like it's a little bit watered down over the years. They've kind of like transitioned from giving really good value information to like creating articles that get clicks for their cards, Right. which look, it's a big business. I get it. And they still have a lot of good, good content. And, and I, I credit a lot to them, but, but I would suggest if you want to go a little deeper, uh, one mile at a time is really good. Uh, there's one called upgraded points. And then there's one called Frequent Miler. So those are the three that I'll check typically um, on a daily basis. And that's where I just keep up with like things that are relevant. There's other, there's other ways to go a little bit deeper, but those are, those are three of the good ones. Um, but in terms of the timing of like, when is it you know, time for you to, to hire someone versus not, you really want to think about how much you can save in terms of time, how valuable your time is and what that can produce for you. Not just in monetary return, in my opinion, but also just like 
ease of life. Like, you know, do you want to have a life where like you, you've mastered a couple things and you rely on other experts for areas, or do you want to kind of be like, you know, a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. And that's, that's like my philosophy on it because a lot of us, most people listening to this are probably pretty busy, whether you're a parent, you've got kids or you're, you know, you're working like a really intense nine to five and you're doing a couple other things or you're running your own business. Like regardless, going deep into this, unless you're like passionate about it and you like it, I would really just consider hiring someone and it doesn't have to be uh, a full service like ours. Like ours is more end to end. Like we want to make it as seamless as possible. There's some people that can help with like one-off things and stuff and, and we can do some of that too. But that will allow you to basically get the best return without having to spend a lot of time. So the caveat is, though, again, if you enjoy it, then like time spent isn't time wasted, right? But if you're sitting there like this is frustrating, then I wouldn't spend more than, you know, an hour to two hours learning this stuff because like if it's draining your energy, there's no point. Um, so that's my personal philosophy because I think there's more return than just the monetary aspect. It's like peace of mind and enjoyment of life is kind of important, too. And so, yeah, that's how, that's how I view it. You know, I, I love that you say that is it's not just about the the time and the money. It's really the quality of life. Like and I, I the next few questions I actually want to get into in your view, best best points, you know, airline loyalty versus credit cards, things like that. But even for me, who knows quite a bit and I am passionate about it. So I do read up and I, I actually like geek out and get obsessed. But at the same time, like I just found out. I was kicked off. I was one world status uh, Sapphire, which is the middle level and didn't receive an email, didn't even know and just got dropped down to the Emerald. And I'm like, no, because then to build it back up, one, super hard. Two, I don't understand how I even drop because I, I take a lot of flights and I you know accrue those, those points and miles. So I love that you say that because even someone for me, I'm like, what am I doing wrong here? So I would love to actually go into the airline loyalty because I don't understand how I got dropped from one uh, from status on Sapphire down to Emerald. And then how does someone build up that loyalty to that next level? Like what are the easiest ways to get up to that? To the next it's one? a great question. And it's, it's an open ended one because there's so many different ways to do it depending on the program. And that's again, one of the nuances of the points game is each airline, each hotel, each credit card program, they operate kind of differently. Now there's similar patterns. So like when you're going to book a ticket, just for an example, right, you're either going to see a, an airline program that's revenue-based, which means the number of points required directly is in direct correlation to the cash cost, right? So if the, the price doubles, the points double. Then you'll see some that are going to be distance-based, which is like British Airways, where it's like if you're flying from here to here, it's going to cost one price if you fly because it's less than 500 miles versus less than 1,000 miles versus less than 5,000. Then you'll see some that are zones where it's like East Coast to Europe is a price. And then you see some that are dynamic. So there's really like four main ways that things can be priced. And that just speaks into each program, each airline, each hotel is very unique, but there's kind of similarities with how they work. The same idea applies to how the loyalty programs work. So when it comes to how you'd accrue status with American versus United versus Delta, they're all going to be relatively similar and they're going to fall into one of a few buckets. Now, what's becoming a really cool thing as of late and I'll, I'll speak into some of how kind of the, the inner workings of the airline industry work is that you can earn a lot of top statuses now through spending without having to travel as much. So it's great for high spenders or people that want to play that game. Not as good for the frequent travelers, which is kind of a bummer because those are really the people that are, you know, going through the gauntlet of like delays and changes and cancellations and all this stuff. But the reason is, is because uh, for a lot of airlines, their most profitable center of the business is actually their loyalty programs through their credit cards and all of those, all the things that come with that. So they tend to value cardholders a lot. So with like American Airlines, for example, you can spend your way, you spend $200,000, you'll get executive platinum, which is their highest status. Oh, wow. Right. And that's just through spending. You don't have to fly. And is that, I'm assuming yeah. that's then in one year that you have to spend that 200K? Yes. Okay. Exactly. Yep. So, and it'd be good for the rest of the year and the next year. Oh, okay. Interesting. So then on that, because, for example, I have American Amex Platinum, and that's where mm -hmm. I just I funnel most of my my expenses. I think I just did my year end review from last year, and it was like one hundred ninety six thousand dollars just on my one credit card. And I was like, oh, that's mm -hmm. that's a lot. Right. Yeah. But what that gives me is points that I can then use on various airlines, hotels, things of that nature versus then if I'm going to, you know, my American Airlines Card. Sure. So yeah. what do you recommend someone like, and this is, 
actually such an apt example because I have status. Well, I just dropped down. So at least I can, I think, get back up on one world, which is BA, because that's where I was funneling all of my, my AA, yeah. everything, like, BA. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, those of you who are, are listening, you're a bit confused. We're going a little deeper. So I'm not, I'm using more code names of like BAA, you know, United, things like that. But would you recommend doing something related to the one world status where I, where I already have status, even though I dropped versus American Airlines, I have no status because I just started there because I'd been funneling. So what would you recommend someone doing when we have the, you know, American Express card, we I have the AA loyalty or whatever advantage card, and then I have status, which is not tied to my American card. Does that make you're, sense? So you were crediting your miles to British Airways. To British, you- because that's where I lived for many years. And I never yeah. opened an AA account because I had status. And so now I'm in this mm-hmm. pickle of, do I stop funneling money through the American Express? Do I start just funneling it, you know, basically 200K to AA, starting with zero status? Or would you say, go to where I already have a status? Yeah. Wow. This is a juicy one because yeah. there's so many ways that... <laughs> And and for any of this stuff, there's no exact right answer. It's more of like you want to about you want to think about like what you value and the, and the different outcomes, right? So like mm-hmm. for example, having top status as American is great if you're traveling a lot on domestic airline flights, uh, American airline flights, and like there may be a flight where you don't have to book into first class because it's shorter, but like an upgrade would be really great. So like let's say you're someone who flies from like Miami to New York a lot, and it's like you know if you don't fly first for that, it's not the end of the world, but like that's different than going to to Abu Dhabi, right? For your your honeymoon, like that's one where you're booking right into first class. So if you're someone who's traveling a lot internationally or has like a handful of big trips, and that's really what points is about optimizing for, don't do the status game, go right for these transferable bank points like Amex, Chase, City and Capital One, because when you're doing an international trip like that, you don't want to be risking not getting an upgrade and then being stuck in economy for a long haul flight. You want to book right into first class. You want to know you have the best product like Etihad first class or Emirates. And a lot of times, you know, those airlines aren't going to be partners with the airline that you have status with anyways. So you don't want to be relying on that. So for your big international trips, you want to make sure you have at least several hundred thousand points in one of these transferable banks. So I always make sure that's like baseline scenario. But if you're someone who let's say you have a family of five and you're like, we don't really go overseas. We go, you know, we live in, in Chicago and we go to Florida three times a year, that kind of thing. And I travel for work twice a month to go to conferences or something, then playing the status game would make sense. And you should accrue that with the airline you're flying on the most, right? In your case, having credited your miles to British Airways, which is a one world partner with American, uh, is a good move because if you do get status with British Airways, you'll get into uh, the one world status. And then when you're traveling domestic, you'll get access to lounges as well, where with American, it's a slightly different setup just because of how they credit things. So this is where you can get into all these weird nuances and stuff. But generally speaking, that's how I would think about it. It's like, what's your outcome? Because even for you, like you would want to say, okay, if I pass on earning a lot of uh, uh, American Express points and instead I opt for an American Airlines card because I want to get top status, it's like how much more value am I going to get from these domestic upgrades versus how much more points I could earn with American Express that I could then use for an international first class ticket. And for you, I would imagine you're probably better off getting better first class tickets overseas then and saving more there because that's you know five thousand six thousand ten thousand dollars per ticket oftentimes whereas a couple upgrades a year here or there may add up to the same amount but probably not so that's where also the amount of spend comes into play because if you're spending like let's say you had a business that spends two million dollars it's like well do both right right, right. When you're like most people you probably don't spend that much so then yeah. you kind of want to pick your path interesting okay so then that being said And I I love always on my podcast using me as the direct example so people can kind of put themselves in my shoes in whatever situation that might be. Now, what I'm hearing is then because, yes, I do travel a lot Miami to New York, but American Airlines maybe not as good as trying to get my status back up on One World. But how would you say going about to do that considering, one, I don't live in the UK anymore. I don't take... British Airways as much. And I don't have a credit card because that's a UK based, the AVO system is UK based. So what would you say for that to build up status mm-hmm. or re, I guess, rebuild it up? Sure. Well, so whenever you're flying in an airline that's a part of an alliance, you can choose who you credit your miles to. 
So the way this is called in the airline nerd industry is like the metal you're flying, which means like what's the actual aircraft, right? So you might be flying American metal, but because American Airlines is a part of the One World Alliance, you can still credit all those miles to British Airways and earn your status through British, which would then get you upgrades on American too, mm-hmm. right? Because you'd have One World status. So that would be a strategy that I would consider for you if you've already started with British and you have a good setup there. And you can actually get, there is a British Airways Avios card that you mm-hmm. can get. That's in the U.S. too. So that can help accrue okay. points and, and help you get there too. Um, so that's that's a little bit difference. And that's even speaking to, there's like a layer deeper into the game, which I don't even pay as much attention to, but like people that are really, really like every single point they're trying to capture. Um, if they're like super nerdy on this, they'll go into this level, which is like when you do book a ticket, they'll look based on the distance as to which airline partner within an alliance they're going to credit their miles to. Right. Because the way that you might earn miles, depending on where you flew and how you flew in the airline, you flew in the type of ticket can vary of how many miles you'll actually earn from it. So typically, you know, most people that are flying on American from Miami to Chicago would just credit their miles to American. But in your case, you may credit them to British Airways. In someone else's case, they might uh, credit them to Qantas, which is another, you know, right. uh, one world alliance carrier. It just depends on their overall strategy. I don't really suggest for most people listening, you probably don't want to yeah. like pay much attention to that. But that is kind of a. <laughs> another layer to it because sometimes there's ways to earn status faster through some of those uh, other paths. Got it. So one of the things, and you know, as we're talking, because I do understand this world and I'm pretty passionate about it, everything we're talking about, I'm like, Oh, right. That makes sense. But I did get some comments from the last podcast with, with Tommy, which I thought was a pretty, you know, basic or explaining what things are, but I still got comments of people saying, I still don't get it. I don't understand how to travel hack. I don't understand how to use points. So let's talk about the person who genuinely doesn't understand their, let's say they're spending quite a bit. And like my mom, for example, spends a lot of money, but she uses debit cards. And I'm like, oh my God, mom, please. Like, ah, but let's just talk to the people that have genuinely no idea on what to do, how to start. Like what are the lowest hanging fruits that you think the the person who wants to get into it, but they just, sure. They just don't get it. Yeah. So what I'd love to do is paint a little picture of how the system works as a whole. And then we'll break down some of the basics because when you understand this, it also helps demystify like why this works. Because when you hear about it, you're like, this is a scam. It's too good to be true. It doesn't make sense. But then when you understand like, okay, I see how, like why the banks created a system, why the airlines did, then it kind of makes sense. Okay. So let's zoom out for a second. So specifically in the U S with credit cards, every time that you buy something, you could be earning points that you could then use for either purchases or travel, right? And when you use them for purchases, there's a fixed value on every point that you get, okay? So that's typically why we want to use them for travel because you can get so much higher return. I'll explain that in a moment. But one thing to know is when a bank issues a credit card, right? They're trying to get you in as a consumer with them. So they're going to issue a couple of different benefits to keep you loyal to that bank because to them, you know, the value of a customer, they know like, okay, if we get this person when they're 23 and they stay with us for 50 years, they're going to be spending on our credit cards. They're going to do their, their loans through us. They're going to do other financing. They're going to do lines of credit. Like they want to build that relationship. So as a way to incentivize customer loyalty, they give you these sign up bonus points and they give you rewards for spending. Okay. Now, every time that you swipe your card, right, you get points back, but there's also a merchant processing fee. And because of the way that the banks work, there's enough money for them in, in that process to say, Hey, out of this, we're going to send some points back to you. Okay. So that's how it works. Now, on a, on a kind of larger level, the airlines and banks also have partnerships. So let's say Delta wants to acquire a bunch of new Boeing aircrafts. They're going to have a relationship with Amex. And so there's these kind of deep relationships where banks are financing some of the airline stuff. And in exchange, there's also these programs that tie in like the points, right? So Amex can issue Delta miles. Okay. And so all these airlines have different mileage programs, as you, as you may know, if you're listening to this, right? When you fly, you can earn miles. But you can also earn them from credit card spending due to these relationships. So that's kind of the foundations of some of the industry. It's this weird hodgepodge between how the banks are incentivized with customer loyalty, how the airlines work, how the banks work together. And because of all that, we have this game where you can either fly on a, you know, on a normal ticket, stay in a hotel, or spend on a credit card and then earn points. And these points are almost like you want to think of them as individual currencies. Okay, And they're all typically worth something a little bit different. And the way that you use them determines how much the points are actually worth. So that's why, you know, we're talking about some of this stuff around like using your points this way versus the other way, because you're going to get a higher value or higher what we call cent per point, which is the key measurement of knowing if you're getting good value or not. So to kind of tie a full circle, when I mentioned earlier, you could use your credit card points to buy something on Amazon, 
right? You're going to get a fixed value on your points of usually one cent per point. So that's kind of your baseline. So you can, you can essentially think of it as this. If you spend something and you earn two points and you got one cent per point, that means, you know, if you spend a hundred dollars, you're getting $2 back, you're getting 2% back. So a points card in that case is kind of like a cash back card. If you got 2% on cash back and you got two points per dollar, got one cent per point in either case it's 2%. But if you use the points that you earned in a different way where you got three cents per point, because the way the airlines price things is different than how the banks price things. Now you're getting 6% back on the same money spent. So you spend a hundred bucks and instead of getting $2, you're getting six. So the big numbers come in. If you multiply that, you know, again, for someone that's spending a lot or a business owner, you know, we're talking, let's talk about a million dollars, right? In one case, a million dollars might get you 10 to $20,000 back. In another case, the same exact spend with just one change of how you're using points could get you 40, 50, 60, $70,000 back. And so that's kind of the macro of it. It can be a little bit tricky to kind of follow that. But once you start to break it down and see how this applies, it becomes a lot more simple and you kind of see the matrix for less, uh, for lack of a better term. It- I love it. I, I love that you did that and zooming out because even for me, as I said, like I get it. There's still so much confusion and understanding. And I think that's also really why like I personally love working with you guys and I see so much of the benefit so that I I don't have to sit there and be like, okay, I, I feel like there's that one meme where it's the woman and there's all of these like science equations or math. And I'm like, sometimes I still feel like that. And as I was listening to you, that was kind of coming up. I'm like, okay, wait, the points in this sense, that's actually something I'd love to get into of how do you know, how does one know when it is like 2.3 sense to the point or like can you explain all of that like and i guess the real question is let's say i'm just your average person i'm trying to fly business class overseas right how do i understand this whole points to sense and sure yeah it's a great question because people will often confuse this and they'll be like oh so you say fifty thousand points you say five hundred dollars it's like no 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 i say fifty thousand points which doesn't mean I saved $500. It could mean I saved a lot more depending on how I'm going to use those points. And so basically the way to calculate this is you're going to take the cash price of whatever the reservation is and you're going to divide it by the number of points. Okay. So easy example, if you're going to book uh, a hotel room and it costs $500 and it only costs you 10,000 points, you would be getting five cents per point. Okay. So basically that's again, the, the magic equation is how much value are you getting out of the point? So if you get five cents per point, and Amex Travel or Chase Travel is going to give you one cent per point, right? One to five. You got five times better value. And that's how you want to start to think about this is you want to compare it to the baseline of getting one cent per point. So when you're flying overseas, because of the way that the airlines price things, it's much easier specifically for business and first class tickets to get a really high cent per point value, right? And that's because some of these cash fares like the Etihad first class that you guys flew, that can be like a $15,000 ticket sometimes. Right. But the way they price with with uh, points or, or you could call them miles in this case. Right. It's kind of the same. You can use those words interchangeably. So don't get too hung up on the verbiage there. But the way they would price with miles would be such that it's easy to get like four or five cents per point, at least for that kind of trip. So that's a little bit of the magic math right there. Um, and again, when you go to the bank portals, essentially what you're seeing there is what's called an online travel agency. So. What you're doing is you would take your bank, we'll call them American Express or Capital One or Chase Points or even Bank of America or Wells Fargo or U.S. Bank, whatever it is. You're essentially going to the bank and they're acting as a travel agent, just like a normal travel agent would. It's just the Internet. Right. And they're going to buy the ticket from the airline for you. And you're just going to redeem your points to the bank for a one cent per point value. Right. That's why it's a fixed value. That's why if you go to the Amex travel portal, you're going to see like if the price doubles, the number of points doubles because the bank is basically saying, hey, here's the cash cost. We're giving you one cent per point. So here's your points cost. With the airlines, it doesn't work like that. The airlines would say, okay, East Coast to Europe is 60,000 points. I don't care if it's $5,000. I don't care if it's $10,000. Here's what our East Coast to Europe rates are. So that's where when that price doubles or goes up, but the value or the cost in points is the same, that's where you have like what, you know, what people in trading or investment call arbitrage, where there's a big gap between how much you're paying in your, in your version versus how much you're getting. And so that's some of the math where you'd want to break it down and start to see, okay, cash price divided by points tells me the cent per point that I'm getting. And is that good or not? And um, if we want to go a layer deeper, we could say like each program again, kind of has a different 
baseline value. So that's what you'd be comparing it against to know if you're getting good value. Like a Marriott point is generally not worth the same as an Amex point. So if you got one cent per point with Amex points, you'd be like, not that great. If you got one cent per point with Marriott points, you'd be like, pretty good. So you kind of want to know some of that too, because if you compare them all to be the same, then you might end up, you know, having a really poor redemption, but thinking it's, it's good or vice versa. Mm, So, I mean, so fascinating. And yeah, we can just keep going deeper and deeper and it's such an incredible topic, but I actually want to change gears a little bit because you and I have both obviously traveled a lot. We're both, you know, travel enthusiasts, extraordinaires. Now, I want to start with this one question because you and Tommy and all the other travel hackers that I see are going and you're also going with your girlfriend now and you know, you guys are doing some incredible trips, but I want to talk about the health side of it because I see we're both wearing the aura rings tracking our sleep, but how do you, you personally, Tommy, people, you know, but also more specifically with your girlfriend, how do you deal with all of the time zones and the travel and like, because women, we do get constipated more. We have more intestines in, or, you know, larger in, uh, in our digestive system. And so naturally there's a bit more bloating, but then on top of that, it's like you're drinking champagne. We know that that leads to more jet lag. So how do you guys travel hack the health side of traveling? It's a great question. It's a really important one. And to be honest, it's, it's one that I'm still refining every single time I take a trip because um, yeah, it's, it's important to be able to stay adaptive on that, both based on, you know, who you're traveling with, the kind of travel you're doing and, and all that. And like when I was younger, that was, you'd ask that question. I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah, I just wouldn't have thought about yeah. it. Right. Because you just have boundless energy. You're a young solo dude. Like you can do anything. You're invincible. You can run through a brick wall, sleep for an hour, drink 15 glasses of champagne and wake up and be like, I'm ready to go. But, um, even for me, you know, that has kind of changed. And also, you know, I have a team of a company, like there's more responsibility, like you know, being sharp and, and being mentally focused is pretty important now. And, uh, and then also, you know, bringing a girlfriend to the equation, like she's got a different pace of life and, and style. So like being able to stay adaptive on that is important, but ultimately I'm big on set yourself up to win. So for me, that means, you know, just take a few minutes before your trip and map out, be like, how do I make sure that in the situations where I'd normally be kind of screwed if I didn't have something that I have the thing I need. So whether it's like mineral supplements or, you know, other, uh, basic kind of like biohacking stuff you can get, I always make sure to have that stuff with me. Um, stuff like activated charcoal for your stomach, uh, any sort of like vitamins that you'll need. Um, I even for a while I've tried. I, I love drinking bulletproof coffee, so that's like coffee blended with with like butter, ghee, and MCT oil for a while because that was my thing. And I would do a lot of intermittent fasting with it. I would literally have like a French press and a blender, and I would bring my own ghee. And like that way, if I get into a hotel room, like I'll do that for like a conference trip, right? If I'm on the go really fast, because I know if I hit that and I have like some athletic greens. I'm good that I like covered my bases and like, I'm not really going to be hungry or thinking about food. And so I've, uh, I've adapted my eating style a little bit to be more, more flexible in that regard. Um, so those are a couple of things, but sleep is one of the biggest ones you talked about the aura ring. So, um, my roommate's actually like a sleep coach. He's got like a sleep course and all that stuff. So I've learned a lot from him, but a couple of things with that blackout curtains or like, you know, shades for your eyes are really good. Trying to get your body on the circadian rhythm of where you're going to be ideally as best you can is really good. Um, and then, you know, sometimes taking a nap, uh, when you get there just to get readjusted and get a little more um, sleep while you're going. I think that's the biggest lever that that most of us miss on is like we just miss on the sleep piece. Um, and so those are those are a couple of things. But yeah, in terms of like traveling together as a couple, like I've definitely slowed down a little bit of my general pace, but that's actually kind of nice because I'm so used to going really, really fast through travel, like where it's just like event and then a conference and then a meeting and then we're traveling and it's a flight. And like, that's kind of fun. It's like this high stimulation but being able to slow down, like enjoy where I am a little bit more has also been been uh, a beautiful part of travel that's newer for me. So I'm enjoying that too. I love it. And I'll give a few little hacks that I do. Same as very, very same as what you're doing of, you know, non-negotiable of having a, a sleep mask, also having earplugs. And I personally like the, I think it's like the swimmers ones so that they're not the like little orangey ones. So they're, they're wax ones that you put in. Um, we always have party smart, so you can get them on Amazon. That's like my best drinking hack ever. We take those on a night of drinking and you wake up feeling pretty dandy the next day, which is great. But yeah, it's, it's the sleep. And I would say also the thing that people, it, it's so hard when you're in business class too. And, and all the lounges, like I don't, I do not know how Tommy does it because he's eating and eating in, you know, and all these flights and drinking, but he's the, an anomaly. 
honestly, I, like <laughs> I watch him too. And I'm like, dude, what? Like, I don't understand. But, and, and to be fair, like him and I, sometimes if we're doing the kind of the solo, like, so like that, it, it's like total, like, you know, work hard, play hard kind of things. Like right. he'll do like 30 days, like working out really hardcore, no alcohol, I'll do the same thing. And then you get on a trip and it's just like, you're seeing this on social media of like, <laughs> oh my God, this guy's insane. And it's like, True. And yeah. you know, that, that's not every day. Balance. <laughs> yeah. Still a lot. yeah. The balance. But it's like it's interesting because the thing that I, I know, at least for my body, and I do teach this, is fasting on flights is the number one best way to not get bloated, not get constipated, not have jet lag, have energy when when you land. And I'm like, but if you're flying business, like I remember we were in yeah, we were in Etihad and it was a later flight first class. And my husband was like, Oh, I can't wait to eat all the food. Meanwhile, I load up at the lounge because I, I personally think lounge food is, is better. But are there anything else or any other tips you would say, even now as you're traveling with a girlfriend, when it comes to your travel hacking, you're doing these, you're having these experiences, but how your travel has changed. You, you mentioned just in terms of you're slowing down, but what else has changed for you? And I guess like applicable to people listening of, mm-hmm. of like when should people do solo travel do you think or is there a benefit that you see doing it with a partner should you be you know traveling when you're younger or should you do it when you're a business owner and and get into the travel hacking yes yes and yes is my opinion <laughs> so i i think that uh i think if you haven't had periods of solo travel it's like one of the best experiences that you can have from a personal growth standpoint. I mean, like I remember the first time I was in Japan uh, and it's pretty funny. I was in Osaka train station, which is massive. It's like 15,000 people. You can just like look out and see people going everywhere. You know, in, in Japan, it's a very formal society. So everyone's like wearing a suit and they're like dressed up or like really like, you know, fancy uh, like professional dress for the women. And I'm standing there like it's just a dumb American bro wearing like an orange polo and like navy blue khakis and like shorts. And like, I'm just the only white guy I can see. And I was like, Oh my God. Like I am like, so no one cares about me. No one knows who I am. Like all of the validation that I'd normally get doesn't matter. Everyone's asleep back home. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm like, I feel really freaking alone. And it was like a powerful experience to so had to go through that and be like, all right, well, what do we want to do anyways? And so, you know, I, I, um, was able to use this kind of solo travel to create a little bit more of a different side of my personality that normally when I'm home and you have all the normal people you're around the normal day to day just doesn't, come out as much, right? You don't really have to navigate life in the same way in your normal routine. So I think regardless of where you are in life, that's a great thing to do. And I think even on couple, like a trip with, with couples, I think one of the most important pieces that I'm learning that you can do is build in some time for you to like have your own space, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a lot of time on top of each other. It's a lot of time together. And, you know, normally that's not a big deal. And, and even on travel, it's, it's a lot of times not a big deal. But with travel, there's a lot of change. There can be a lot of stress. There can be a lot of like like you're saying, some of the health stuff can be off. So like giving each of yourselves like a little bit of time separate to be like, Hey, we're just going to do our own thing and, and recharge or regroup or go to the spa or go to the gym or just like have some downtime to ourselves, read a book and kind of get yourself back in tune with yourself a little bit. It allows you to show up as a better version of you to really enjoy the trip and be able to come back and, and really like have more energy for your partner, for the experience you're having and all that stuff. So I think that's a big one. So I'll build in a lot of times on trips and obviously it's on travel too, uh, solo travel where like I'm making sure that like when I land in Europe, I'll like go find a spa or something like that and a gym and a steam room and stuff like that. And just like go sweat, go move, like take some time to decompress before we go right into the right into the action. Uh, but I think even more if you're traveling with someone else, like that's important to to factor in. Now, if you have a family, that's obviously a little bit more difficult. Right. But there's still ways to even tailor that into uh, to an experience that will just allow you to get a little bit more uh, rejuvenation and, and recharge before you kind of dive into the trip particularly if you're going, you know, overnight flights and overseas where you kind of get a little wonky when you land. So those would be some of my tips and some of the lessons that I've learned, but uh, it's, it's an evolving process for me still. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And something that I do, and I've done quite a few podcasts about it, is like after our honeymoon, or not after our honeymoon, I mean, after we got married, I went and did a solo trip to Mexico because I was like, I need to regroup and come back to me. And, and specifically, and, you know, you and I are both business owners, in the sense of like running this and when we come back and you're, you know, you just get thrown back in the deep end, getting caught up. And for me, it was like, I do these trips so that I can settle in, calm down, regroup, reground, and then come back as the best version of me. So I love what you're saying of, you know, doing solo time, whatever that might 
be for you, whether it's, you know, what I do or on a trip where you guys are doing separate, separate days. Now, I want to talk about then in terms of, let's say it's a family or just a business owner like myself, how does one start to accrue the most amount of points? And like, where would you say to start? Like ground zero, do you say, because what I heard you say earlier was, Definitely try to figure out if you're doing, you know, shorter national trips and then maybe building status there versus then getting a card like I have for more of those international. But how does one start to accrue these millions of points in order to get status on multiple airlines or Hilton, Marriott, things like that? Sure. And I think the first question to ask is, is status worth it for you or not? Because this is a very big misconception I see for a lot of people. And so I want to clear this up first. So firstly, I think depending on your amount of travel, that really dictates if you should even be going for status at all. Now, let's say you get uh, Marriott Gold status with your Amex Platinum card because that's what comes with it, right? You're going to get some benefits. You're going to get a little early check-in, a little late check-out, but they're probably going to give that to you anyways. You're going to get like a free water when you check in and maybe some, some Wi-Fi, right? So you're not really, and you're very rarely going to get an upgrade to like a good room. So you're not really seeing many needle moving benefits in terms of like value that you're really getting and saving. So to do something like that, or to get like an American Airlines gold status, which can get you some upgrades, depending on where you live, like out of Miami, you're probably not going to see many because there's so many other people with, with higher level status ahead of you that would be getting upgrades first. Uh, it may not make a lot of sense to go out of your way to try and even get status unless you're someone that's traveling potentially, you know, multiple times per month or you're in a hotel 40, 50 nights a year. If that's not you, I wouldn't go out of my way to get status at all. And I would just not be paying attention to that. I would be playing the game of how do I get as many transferable bank points as I can so that I can convert them to all these different airlines and hotel programs when I need them. And I'm sure you covered this with Tommy, but, you know, we'll take Amex as an example. They've got, you know, over, I think, 15 different uh, airline and hotel partners that you can convert their, their points and miles into. And what's great about that is because there's options, right? You can wait until you actually have to book the trip to convert the points. And that's important to note because once you convert them into an airline or hotel, you can't convert them back, right? So you want to keep those in like Amex or Chase or whatever it is until you actually are like, okay, this is the ticket. And then you convert the miles. So that's where I would be starting. But to break down, how do you, how do you amass a lot of points? Even if you're not traveling a lot, it's a really good question to common, a common one. There's really a few main ways to do it. Number one, easiest, lowest hanging fruit, sign up bonuses, right? So you get a new card, you're going to earn 60,000 points in the first 90 days for spending X, right? And you can open multiple of these. And uh, that's how you'll just like hit, you know, a ton of points really fast. But that brings up the question, what happens to my credit score? Isn't my credit score going to tank if I do that? Well, there's number one, a sequence of doing that, that, that will allow your credit score to stay, stay clean. But number two is you should actually be looking at some business cards for this too. And in fact, you don't even have to have an LLC to get a business card. You could be someone who did, uh, did babysitting once last year and you get a business credit card as a sole proprietor. But because business credit cards don't show up in your personal credit report, you can open a lot more of these without impacting your credit score. Interesting. So let's say, let's say you open like five business credit cards. You got 70,000 point bonuses for each of them. That's, you know, 350,000 points like that. Okay, so that's the bonus side. Then you want to maximize your everyday spending. So that's where you go through and you, you create a simple system for this. You don't want to overcomplicate it, but you'd say, okay, groceries and dining, what is the card that I have or could get that would earn the most points there? Probably and a card. Is there a card that's the one of the best you would say or a few few examples? Yeah, Amex Gold is, is a go-to for pretty much anybody that's spending a lot on groceries and dining, which is almost everyone because everyone's got to eat, right? So that's that's a card that's like an almost a no-brainer for, for pretty much everybody. You're going to earn four points per dollar on those two categories of purchases, which is significant. If you really want to get into it, you could even buy gift cards at, you know, whether you have a card that's good for office supplies or a card that's good for, for groceries, you could even buy gift cards at those stores. So let's say you buy a $1,000 Bed Bath & Beyond gift card at a grocery store and you get four points per dollar, then you could use that gift what? card to go to, to Bed Bath & Beyond and buy your really? stuff. Really? You can do that. Yeah. That's it's just, crazy. yeah, now you have gift cards you have to manage too. So it's like- Right. I mean, but then you, you know? you've still spent the money, but now, wow, that's crazy. I didn't even think about that because it's like, yeah. So what I'm hearing is like, let's say you go to the movies often and whatever it might be, you go to the movies- Or buy on Amazon. Right. Or Amazon. So you go to the grocery store where you get 4X points, let's say Amex Gold, you do that, spend $400. Wow. That's cool. I mean, interesting. So there's- 
now I guess the follow-up question on that is someone like me, I already work with you guys, right? We already kind of funnel the the flights that we're looking for. Am I still not utilizing your company correctly in that sense? Like, is should I be because I, I what I want to know, I guess, is like someone who then works with you. Because you guys, your company is amazing and I love what you're doing. But should I like be coming to you and saying, here are my cards? What am I doing wrong? Help me out. Or do you guys really focus on the flights and airlines, the, the points, things like that? Yeah, great question. So we'll work with people on whatever level they want to be supported on. Because this, as you can see, goes deep. And we only covered a handful of these things, yeah. right? So there's things like Rakuten and Google Chrome extension, where every time you shop online, it's going to earn you MX points. What? There's stuff like that, right? See, there's all these small little hacks that we should be doing. But here's the caveat. Like when we come out guns blazing and start overloading people with information, what happens is instead of taking the important action, which is like the one or two simple things, they see 50 things and they're like, I don't even want to do this. So it actually creates worse results. So what we like to do is we start with the essentials and the basics. And then once we really get things moving and grooving, then we can start to layer in some of these if someone's open to it. But some people that come to us, they're like, my goal is I want max of three cards. I want the simplest strategy. If you make this overwhelming at all, I don't want to work with you. And so that's a lot of people too, which I totally respect. Everyone has their preferences. And so we'll, we'll start with more of the fundamentals where we're getting the biggest bang for your buck. And then we can start to take these little micro adjustments where it's like, okay, now you're earning an extra two points here for every time you buy this. Now you're getting referral bonuses. Now you're getting you know gift cards for this, or you're going through shopping portals. So there's ways to optimize pretty much anything that you're going to spend. There's a way to optimize it. It's just how much information do you want to have in your head? And then how much time do you want to spend to do it? Right. The gift cards thing can be great, but if every time you want to go shop somewhere online, you're going out of the way to go to the grocery store for 30 minutes to buy gift cards. It's like, well, is that worth it to you? I don't know. I mean, it depends on how well you're going to use these points, I guess, but you just spent 30 minutes of your day driving in Miami traffic to go down to Whole Foods. And it's like, maybe not the best idea. Right. So there's uh, there's different layers, but, but for your situation with us, yeah, this is something where you're at the point now where it's like, you can say, Hey, what am I missing on that? Like the advanced level ninjas out are out there doing that I could start doing because I want to. And right. if that's the case, then it's like, all right, get ready for the sauce. Cause we're going to hit you with a lot more. Oh my God. I love that. And you know what I, based on the last interview with Tommy and talking with people about the travel hacking, you actually just said something that I kind of want to sum up. I still have one follow-up question, but I want to sum up everything we've been talking about, which really travel hacking to me and what I've learned from you guys in these interviews is optimizing wherever you are now in order to have better travel experiences. Maybe that's flying business without paying for it, or flying your family without paying for it or upgrading or you know whatever it might be. So I really want people to think about it. it's this word optimizing so that you don't need to get to this advanced level. You need to just optimize where you are now in order to reap some benefits of that because why would you not? So maybe that will help clear up some some thinking because it is crazy and overwhelming and and I agree if you try to do too much or understand too much of it like all the, you know, the Chrome extension and things like that. It's like, there's no way I'm going to do it. But the last thing I actually want to end on, which I feel like people don't really talk about. It's like, we get so nerdy and excited about the travel hacking. We're entrepreneurs. We travel, you and I, I know with my husband and, you know, everyone you work with, we're all doing these incredible travels, travel hacking. And yet being an entrepreneur and travel hacking and going on quote unquote vacations. Like I don't remember the last time I took an actual vacation because I'm always working. And so that's been a tough balance for me. While I love what I do, it's that catch 22. So you don't actually love entrepreneurship. You you think it's overrated, but I want to know, is that for a different reason or is it similar to what I'm saying of this? Like, I just, I just want to switch off. I just want to have a vacation. It's a great question. And to clarify, like personally, I actually, I do love entrepreneurship for me. What I think is important is that a lot of people glorify and, and glamorize what entrepreneurship is totally and make, make it sound like, you know, nine to fivers, they're like not pursuing their passion and like they're doing, you know, they're doing it wrong and they're missing out on life of freedom. It's like, oh, really? Are you free? Because like you haven't taken a vacation in three years. You work 60 hours a week. You're working on weekends. You're stressed about next month's payroll. That doesn't sound like freedom hashtag, to me at all. Hashtag me, yeah. I'm raising my hand. Hey, you know what? Me too. And we're honest about it, okay? But that's the reality. But for me, like that juices me up. I love yeah. building something. I love the challenge. Like it's fun. But if you're getting into entrepreneurship for like, I want freedom, be very conscientious yeah. of like, 
the vehicle you pick and what are the opportunity costs? Because sometimes a, you know, a great nine to five job is going to be awesome and you can find your passions on the side and do that. So I think that a lot of people glamorize that. And I, you know, there's times where I'm envious of a lot of my friends that have that, where it's like, I'm going on a trip and I am working a building. And I, but for me, generally, I do like that a lot too, but it's really nice to have the space where it's like, you know what? I can take a week off and I don't have to have a thought go through my head about like, what about this? Is someone waiting on me for this? Am I missing something? Like that peace of mind is very valuable. There's a lot of value in that. Um, but I actually interviewed a guy uh, recently, a guy named Austin Netsley. He's in Austin here as well. Uh, he's got a company called 2x.com, which is really cool. So if you're a business owner that's scaling, like you can check them out. But one of the things he does with his clients and they help business owners scale from six to, to multiple seven figures is they schedule in when you start working with them, a mandatory two week vacation test. And I think I thought this was brilliant because what it is, is it's a challenge to say, look, by the end of this period, you should be able to take two weeks away. We're going to build systems in your business where if you can take you, you, or where if you can't take two weeks away and let the business grow, not just maintain, but grow without you, then you haven't built a business. You've created a job. And so that's where I think the misconception is for most people is we get into entrepreneurship thinking we're creating freedom when we actually trap ourselves more because we've just created a job for ourselves, but it's very dependent on us. Mm. And so the goal really is not just how do you create financial freedom through a business, but how do you create time freedom through using systems so that when you do go on a trip, you can actually use it as a way to rejuvenate, to recharge, to have deeper connection with your partner, to like give yourself some, some peace of mind, a new perspective on life. And that's like the real juice of travel to me is when you can get away and come back as a new person. And to do that, a lot of times it requires you to unplug and actually just like let your mind quiet down for a little bit and take in where you are. And that's when all these like amazing insights or new ideas or new perspectives or rejuvenation come and you come back as a different person. So that's why I actually think it's important too. But why I also think if someone's new in entrepreneurship, like just because on social media, everyone glorifies how amazing it is, like just realize that there's a lot more going on than meets the eye. And if someone's trying to like, you know, just show all of the, all of the beautiful sides of it. It's just like anything else. There's this trade-offs as well. And so that's my perspective on, uh, on why I think sometimes entrepreneurship can be overrated for, for a lot of people. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And I think it, you know, goes hand in hand with the travel hacking. We see the videos of what you guys are doing and the slammers, the champagne slammers and, you know, all of these flights. And yet there are costs to everything. There's I think that it's important that especially with these episodes that I'm doing and as you're talking and we're talking about this whole world, like there's so much to know to get you to that next level, to have you doing those flights. And that's why I love your company and and what you guys are doing to literally help people find more freedom when they're traveling and with their spend. So Eli, thank you so much for coming on. I will put all of the information, your website, because I know that people can book a, a consultation call with you guys. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll put all of that in the show notes. Um, you guys definitely go follow Eli. Like I, I personally love following you. I find value in everything you post. And I just wanted to ask, is there anything that you'd like to leave the audience? Maybe it's a thought or a specific travel hack we even mentioned. Just one last thing that you want to leave. Yeah, I think it speaks into the where do I get started piece because I remember how confusing this was for me and for a lot of people out there. And so I'm going to lay it out in a couple ways. If you're just a, a new person getting started, of number one, how do you think about it? Number two, what are some easy wins? So number one, how would you think about this in my opinion, the most optimal way? Well, there's kind of two paths you could take with this and think of it just like potentially buying a house. Number one is you can take, you can envision like your end in mind dream trip and reverse engineer and say, in 12 months, I want to go here. I want to go to Overwater Villa. I want to fly first class. How many points is this going to require? What airlines operate it? What hotels are there? And reverse engineer it so you earn your, your points and spend strategically for that. Or number two would be like, let's say you were again being like, I want to buy a house at some point. I don't know what it's going to be. So I'm just going to start saving. And if that's the case, just earn as many of these transferable bank points as you can. Right, so you're going to get the cards that optimize for ideally just Chaser Amex points that earn the most points per dollar on your purchases. So again, if you spend a lot on groceries and dining, Amex Gold is probably your card. If you spend a lot on travel, Chase Sapphire can be a, car, a good card. So you'll want to look into some of that stuff. Um, so that's kind of the, the how you get started and how you think about it. And then one really easy hack for pretty much anybody out here that can get a Chase card. One of the easiest, lowest hanging fruit ways to get good value on points is to earn chase points and convert them to Hyatt hotels for luxury Hyatt hotel stays. Okay, this is a really easy way. The airline stuff you can do, absolutely you can do it, but there's more nuances to learn and understand and, and it can be a little more confusing. Hyatt hotels, very straightforward. They convert from chase at a one-to-one -one ratio. 
And there's oftentimes where you're going to get three, four, five times uh, the value that you'd get on those points compared to what you'd see in Chase. So if you want to get started and you're like, how do I start getting some wins? Check that out. Go find a luxury, you know, Hyatt property, whether it's in Encinitas, California or Big Sur or Park Hyatt, New York, or, you know, the Venadrome in, in Paris, wherever you want to go, search on Hyatt, click search with points, start reading some Chase points, convert them over. You'll save several hundred to several thousand dollars very quickly. And when you get that first big win, if you haven't gotten your first big win yet, do that first because that's what's going to hook you and make you be like, this is really cool. And then you'll you'll have a, a whole new skill set for the rest of your life. So that's my my tidbit on getting started. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much, Eli from Freedom Travel Systems. Again, I will put all of the links and where people can find you in the show notes. And until next week, here's to a sharper life. 